0: This week's episode is powered by the combined rage of fans panicking and other fans mocking the panicking fans. A reliable avalanche heat source right on time for winter too.
1: Safe to say this top line is the best in the league. Yeah we are. As McCart jumps in, and it <laughs>
0: Good morning, good afternoon, Oregon, evening, I'm Steph, and you're locked to the Burgundy Radio for December 30th, 2019. Coming up on the show, the Colorado Avalanche are finally apparently healthy, but that hasn't stopped him from losing a bunch of games. We'll run through each one, talk about what patterns we're seeing, but before we can do any of that, the disembodied voices need an introduction. Hello to Earl.
2: Hello, friends.
0: And hello to Jackie.
2: Happy New Year, everyone.
0: It is the final show of the decade. This is, I believe, our 78th episode of Burgundy Radio, and we produced about that many with another name, too, which puts me, personally, in the 150 area, which is wild. But before we properly get underway, I just wanted to throw out a thank you to everyone who keeps listening to our nonsense every time we put it out there, and to those who have kind messages for the show. From time to time, you really do sustain this thing. Thanks, pals. I agree. Thank you very much.
1: Thanks, everyone.
0: Colorado, are two... 4-1 and one since we last spoke, which is a pretty bad record. Back on the 16th, they rolled into St. Louis and got crushed 5-2. This was a game I missed, but after a 2-1 lead with goals from Miko Ranson and Nazem Kadri, they allowed four unanswered starting late in the second. The last one completed a David Perron hat trick. Nobody wants that. This was two weeks ago, so maybe nobody, but who remembers how this one went down?
1: I... Uh, it was... <coughs> I remember it because it was two-one, and then they they were cruising. I mean, it, for a St. Louis Blues game, which you generally aren't very optimistic about, um, this looked pretty good. And then Cadre takes a, a high-sticking double minor, and the Blues score on both, and that's you know pretty much went downhill from there.
2: The only other thing I remember about this game and. It was the the double minor high stick that triggered my memory, but it was what led to the double high high stick. It was they had a three minute shift. barbario I think this was Barbario's last game. He was on the ice for like three and a half minutes, one shift, because they got stuck in the D zone, and they could have cleared. And it was Burakovsky turnover that kept them in the zone, and it was just just disaster city, and then. I know a lot of people blame Kadri for the double minor, but it it really was that epically bad shift that led to it.
1: Yeah, that was definitely the change in the momentum. Um because again, the the Avs looked bad in the first and then they came out in the second and really controlled, the, you know, let's say the first five, uh, 15 minutes of the period. Um and then that shift happened, and then the penalty happened, and it, you're just like, I can't believe this. I mean, this was—I was happy like ten minutes ago.
0: I was happy like ten minutes ago. That—that <laughs> so. like that really sums up. <laughs> this is like two weeks, it,
2: pretty much. And then I also think it was—was was it Pete trangelo that? was
0: happy like. <laughs> Ten minutes ago we're going to keep that one and see if that's Miko. a show title <laughs>
2: maybe this will explain some things later but Miko got a pretty awkward nasty hit from Pietrangelo yeah, along the boards and that was also a change in the momentum that was also in the I don't remember if it was before or after I, it might have been before the penalty but that really changed the kind of the way they were playing too. I think that was it's unfortunate that a dumb hit can change things but it does happen
0: it sure does it's not the only time that happened either
2: and I think the abs got a bit distracted because it wasn't called it looked pretty dirty maybe it was accidental but they're still dirty accidental and yeah that's how that game went
0: alright I think I tuned in like right right after the PK and everyone was losing their absolute goddamn minds and then they got scored on again and again and I just kind of tuned back out. I had, had been out doing something, I don't know. Then on the 18th, the Avs handed another L to the Chicago Blackhawks, who aren't good. Four won the final, goals from Ian Cole, Nathan McKinnon, Andre Barikovsky, and another for and Franzos made 31 saves, which you can't complain about. And how about that 19-6 shot lead in the first? Avs completely came out firing. This game was also hard to remember because they played Chicago a second time so soon after, and that game's more memorable, so...
2: I think this one was the typical no defense from Chicago, but I, from what I recall, this was also a really good performance by Fran in the second half, because Chicago was yeah. able to pour on some shots, and he definitely shut the door, so... I do. It yeah, they have started.
1: Yeah, they have started cruising with the lead about halfway through the game, and it it just, in hindsight, you could totally see, you know, how Saturday, kind of evolved out of this game because, I, I think Chicago kind of learned some things or maybe gained some confidence for how they were schooling the ABS for you know the the better, part of the the. oh that's why he
2: Same team so many damn times in a row because, of course, they're going to they're familiar with the abs. There's certain things that they learn and they they're able to gain momentum and you're just not going to beat a team over and over and over again, even if they are so pathetic like Chicago on defense.
1: Yeah, it's dumb playing a team four times a year all in the same month. You know, Chicago games are pretty fun. That's kind of the thing you'd like to sprinkle around the season. You know, it's like after you're grinding out a bunch of games against Dallas and Minnesota and St. Louis, it'd be nice to be like, oh, cool, we're playing Chicago again. So
2: That's how, like, the first set what It was almost like a day at the spa, and that's when McCarr was <laughs> really rolling, and it was like he it was just like playtime for them. Yeah, it, it, was, it was fun until they're, wasn't fun.
0: <laughs> <laughs> this one this one was pretty fun. And and I I do recall the, the Franco's third period, um, but also a lot of that was just kind of, you know, trailing by a bunch, take shots from everywhere stuff too. So like there were some yeah. some really good saves in there for sure, but some of that was yeah, just it's a- you know, the it was more fight. the
1: abs letting all those shots get to Francis that I, that I wasn't too crazy about. Um, it, it just seemed like, you know, but that yeah, this I would was... have been a good game to pick it up a little bit. And I know they had to play the next night, so maybe they were just sort of like, you know, let's just rest,
0: take. But yeah, it care.
2: was garbage time. It was.
0: It's funny that you that you mention um, letting too many shots late. You know, in, in, instead of, you know, just kind of being in that position in the first place. Because in in the next game, when, when they were leading against Carolina late, I really felt like they were for a very long time. Because um, after the Chicago win, Colorado traveled home the next day and found the Carolina Hurricanes waiting on them for some reason. That, that's a schedule loss. And lose they did in a tight goalie battle, tighter than the 3-1 final looks. Gabe Landiscott got the one on the power play. And Carolina scored twice in the final three minutes plus an empty netter, which sucks. You let two points get away from you after you spent 57 minutes earning them. Colorado could only manage four shots on goal in the third, which makes you wonder a little about the fatigue factor, but there's also a really massive breakdown on one of those late goals. It's already been analyzed to death in Navs' faces, but if anyone wants to give us a summary of that one, we, we couldn't really decide whether we were angrier at Ian Cole or JT Comfer, Then then please feel free, but I do want to mention that like especially in the middle of the third period even though they weren't necessarily producing shots Colorado were forechecking really well and, and keeping the play going in the right direction
2: if I yeah, this was it felt like yeah, a, I, a game between two good teams
0: yeah
1: i just remember like after the goal they turtled for a little bit but then they you know they managed to tighten up the sheets and and you know they they got a good forecheck going and and this wasn't <clears throat> this wasn't your classic turtle where you just try to sit on a one nothing lead. Like they, you know, they kind of did like Carolina push back after, a, after the goal for a bit. um, But they, you know, they, the abs got control of the game back. And that's what, that's why it was just, you know, it was kind of stunning uh, for that last three minutes to happen.
2: One of my truisms is you can't expect to win one to nothing. And that, Came true and it like you said, it was disappointing because they had they had the lead with like two and a half minutes left or whatever it was. So at that point you you just have to win the game. But in general, you can't expect to win one to nothing. Not in this game. Because there's so yeah, I mean, much. They, they didn't get their first goal happened.
1: until five <laughs> minutes into the third period, though. I mean this that that's how yeah. even this game
2: was. I mean, and it was, I think it was a good game, but yeah, there's it was just really so much game. As as you could say, magic bullshit that happens in a hockey game. You just for a team not to get a bounce, get something to happen, and expect to win one to nothing. But like like I said, they should have shut the door here. They they almost had it, and it's it may, maybe fatigue finally caught up to them because this was a a pretty good battle. So it's understandable in a way, but in a, in another way, it's like good teams finish
0: the deal yeah this would have been
1: also i mean good teams also find a way to get a point out of a game like this yeah maybe maybe if they kept it one one and that second goal doesn't get scored you know maybe they probably lose in overtime you know carolina's rested and yeah we're still not quite sure if they're good at overtime yet yeah no
2: Uh, no that's a good point that okay, like something's going to happen and they could tie it, but then you have to get it to overtime.
1: Yeah. You can't let like you look at Boston, you know, it's like Boston doesn't have many regulation losses. Or they didn't up until a little while ago, but they, you know, they, they were really good at pulling out a point from a game where they really, you know, weren't at the top of their game. And that's kind of what we're looking for from the abs. You know, it's sort of turning some of those regulation losses from last year into points, um, you know to to make it from 95 to 105 type territories and that's that's obviously not something we're seeing lately <laughs> so needs work
2: see so, so yeah this is the Ian Cole pinch and all the forwards were down low it's just a little perplexing when the game's tied with like 2 minutes left it's a very all uh, move but i mean i like i like the aggression
1: you know but it's like when you're the F3, and we're pretty sure that, you know, that Comfort was the F3 on that play, you got to be circling back when you see the defenseman pinching in, and that didn't happen. And, you know, again, so many things went wrong in that play. Yeah. Cause Any one of them could have corrected it.
0: But... There's that, and, and there's also the, the point where the pinch itself was just, like, about as useless as a pinch can possibly be. Well, it's. But, but... The... Like, he, he wasn't in. committed. He, he comes in for a puck. He can't possibly win. He notices halfway that he can't possibly wins it, and throws on the oh shit breaks. And now you're doing nothing.
1: Yeah, that's that's what that that's where it started going wrong. Like if he had just been committed to the point where like I'm either getting the puck or I'm taking a penalty, that would have been fine. But um, it didn't happen.
0: Like maybe he can disrupt the pass or something. But yeah, there, there's 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 just no help and. That's pretty ridiculous. I'm pretty sure that brain fatigue explains it, um, but it's also not the only time we see that kind of thing happen. Nah. On the 21st, the Blackhawks came back to Denver and played that game that made me forget the other one because the Avalanche were up 3-1 to with 10 minutes left and lost 5-3 to with an empty netter included, which isn't acceptable. Yeah. Ryan Graves had one of the goals and Matt Calvert had the other two. Not outstanding goaltending for either team here, but you have to see the team push back in a situation like this. Chicago's second and third goals came 38 seconds apart. It's all it takes. Like, what do you do? How do we stop this?
2: i definitely say, of all the games, this was the one you'd consider a collapse the most. Yeah. But it also gets back to playing stupid Chicago so many times that it was kind of bound to happen. But, yeah, it's very unsavory. It gives you a bad... The bad taste lingers when they give up the lead like that to a team that's not that great, but...
1: And my problem with it is they almost treated it like they were playing a team that wasn't that great. I just... I didn't... <clears throat> I didn't see the aggression or the aggressiveness that I wanted to see Um you know, I, I think a two a two goal lead, you know, maybe that felt kind of safe, but it obviously wasn't. So you need to just keep playing your game a little bit higher um, than they did. And I, I think everything everything's fine then, but it just it wasn't.
0: So after coughing up leads <clears throat> to St. Louis and Carolina in two of the last three games, when you give up two in less than a minute and and now it's tied in the third period, I think you call your timeout here. And and say so like, like, even if you don't say anything, it's just the very act of just saying, slow down, it's fine.
1: And JB said that, he was asked about that, AJ asked about it after the game, and he said, you know, we had the eight-minute timeout coming up, and yada, yada, yada. So it's I realize that coaches are loath to use their timeouts for actual timeouts, and for some reason, but
2: um well you used to need to have it for a challenge right so you don't need to have it anymore do i have that correct so in the past i could understand more like sure you're going to criticize a coach for not for not using his timeout but then if he doesn't have the timeout to challenge a goal that could save the game he's screwed either way but
1: and then maybe you you can also look at it like you really want your timeout if things are dire with a minute left in which he didn't use it either, but
2: and I know so many timeouts <clears throat> go unused to me, it does feel like more of a hindsight thing. like are you gonna do it every game when they give up a couple goals is it was it just the compounding of the three games in a row? Of course, yeah. going back in hindsight, you would do it, but in the moment i I don't know I just I don't get into the whole, please call a timeout because there's also so many boats in timeouts for a lot of other bullshit that happens so
1: yeah i mean they had the tv timeout and yada 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 i mean it's i i i'm not sure a timeout would have helped but again you know you needed to sort of nip that in the bud somehow and whether that was a timeout or saying the right words on the bench in between shifts or whatever i mean it just it didn't happen
2: I just think it's really hard to get momentum when you've lost it. But sure, you could certainly stop the other team's momentum a little bit. I just, I don't know. In this game, I think a few things were stacked against them, but this one I'll remember and I definitely don't want to say it was Grubauer's fault, but on that fourth goal, you can tell when he starts to not trust the defense because he tries to way overplay and I will get to it, but I also think he started doing that in last night's game as well. Yes, yeah, they
1: definitely did. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and that it just doesn't it doesn't help.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: And and on that, I think it was the fourth goal. Gubauer definitely overplayed it, but that that was certainly one aspect in a lot of things that went wrong.
0: Yeah, it's really tough for for fans, especially fans who've never attended goal before. Which hello. um... To, to, to really watch an NHL goaltender and, and pick on their mistakes, right? Like, it's really, really difficult for us to understand what's going on there. But, but when your goalie's way, like, out and gets burned for it, that's pretty obvious. Yeah. In the final game before the Christmas break, Colorado went to Vegas. Had a rough first period that they came out of with a 3-1 lead anyway. And then just won by a football score, 7-3. Not the best goaltending performance from Marc-Andre Fleury here. The Avs actually catch somebody else on a traveling back-to-back for once and just poop on them. pierre Edward Belmar is always good against Vegas, and he scored two here. Matt Nieto, Landeskog, Kadri, and Ratan, and chipped in one apiece. Valeria Nichushkin completes a Gordy Cal hat trick off his face. <laughs> That's a nice way to go <laughs> into the break. I know.
2: This game was... It It was what they needed. They They needed some good things to happen before their break. And, and yeah, it, looking back at this game was pretty crazy.
1: Although in also in retrospect, it doesn't seem to have helped them much. <laughs> right? Well, yeah, we'll, we'll They may there. as well have been miserable over Christmas,
2: <laughs> <laughs> but it's just crazy because they hadn't played in Vegas well before. And then now they go in there and they hang six, seven goals on them. And I think three of Belmere's six goals this year come in Vegas, which is funny. <laughs> and then, yeah, the nuke the Gordie Howe hat trick was just, just total icing on the cake of this game. So, needless to say, it was fun. It was refreshing. It was nice to see them play competently, finish a game, score goals.
0: It was just so clowny. The whole game was just made no sense.
2: And then Fr- Fransos played in this one, and you could say, did he get the easy game? Did he help them get over the hump? I guess you could see it both ways.
0: Well, he made 17 saves in the first period.
2: Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah that first period could have gone either way.
0: Which so you- I
2: think this game was more fun than the Chicago win in this oh, week. Oh, definitely. It just feels like they yeah.
0: recycled the script from the Nevada Day game, right? yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's a bummer. That was their last game in Vegas. So
1: for
0: now. So what do y'all think about Vegas? I mean, I, they are. I think they're leading the Pacific now. Yeah, they are. They're leading the Pacific now. Of course, they have two games played more than basically anybody else. um But how do you feel I about like, the team? I personally like Vegas.
2: They're one of the the only Western Conference team that I somewhat root for. But um, I. I think they're I don't know if they're as good as when they went to the cup, but for it's kind of crazy that they actually have depth for a team that didn't exist 3 years ago. They have good depth and they play their system well, they're well coached. The Flurry's a good goaltender. I think it just works. It's kind of a some some of the parts team and I still think they'll be there standing at the end. They they might not win the division, but then again, who really is. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> the Pacific Division maybe, will be lost Ari- by seven teams.
2: Yeah, maybe Arizona could do it, but I, I still think they're better than Arizona. So I like them. I like the way they play. I like I like the whole Vegas thing. I th- I think what they've built and what they've done is really cool, and it's nice having another Western team that's not California. So... Uh, so I think it's impressive the Avs went in and beat them. I know a lot of people think they're overrated, and I don't know. I I don't think that's true. I, every team has flaws for sure, and they have them, but I don't think they're overrated.
1: Yeah, I enjoy watching them play, and I I like Avs uh, nights games just because they they seem to like to skate with each other, and and that's that's something we see a lot when we go play Eastern Conference teams. Uh, a little more than we see with the Western Conference teams, so you know, put that in the bin of Western Conference teams that, that are actually fun to play against. I
2: think it would be a fun playoff series. I was bummed when we didn't get to play them last year in the playoffs, so if that ends up being a Western Conference final, I think that would be awesome. I, th- It would be entertaining, and I think a lot of people would enjoy it.
0: Well, let's get through the first round first.
2: Yeah, <laughs> we gotta get there.
0: On Friday, the Minnesota Christmas trees came to Denver, and the Avs lost 6-4, giving up three unanswered goals in the third period again. Calvert gets another pair, both are deflections. Landis God gets just a stellar unassisted goal. McKinnon scores on Kael McCarr's 21st assist as he returns to the lineup on a goal that Dubnik thought was kicked in, and I'm kind of inclined to agree, to be honest. After a messy, obstruction-heavy, shockingly officiated back-and-forth game, the Avs had a 4-3 lead with ten minutes to go, Gave up two goals a minute, seventeen apart. There'd been a little chatter yep. about whether the Avs have a goalie controversy since grubauer has been, you know, decent if inconsistent, but Franzosa has been absolutely lights out. Not in this one. Five goals on thirty-two yeah. shots, and you know he wants a couple of them back for sure. Plus another soft one through him, which was called back on an offside review. I see this one a little differently from the other blown leads. Do y'all look? It was it was
2: more back and forth. The Avs were down two to nothing. So that the fact they came back, they got a lead. So if the other blown games hadn't happened, I don't think it would be as annoying. Of course, it's always annoying losing to the Wild. But um, you see it more as just a back and forth game. But again, they should have had it when they had the lead. And I agree if Frantzos wasn't great at the end of this, which is too bad because he'd been on such a great run.
1: Yeah, I think this, this was probably a little bit of a regression game for Frank His, uh, he just didn't look like himself. And, you know, he's probably not a 940 goaltender in general, but.
0: Um...
1: <laughs> Nobody is.
2: <laughs> and this you one know, was it, like it, three it, days ago, and it's hard to remember. And that's how memorable <laughs> the Wild are.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I do agree that it was more back and forth, but I. You know, when they had that lead in the third, I I just think with with the history that they had gone through in the, in the previous week and a half, that you know, it was important to show a little bit of a pushback, and then that's that's again, that's not something that we saw, and that's that's a part of the disturbing uh, issue. Um, I I just I, I don't know what to say about this. That it, it's it's not. Um, Team-specific, as far as what kinds of teams are doing this to them, it's just they, they seem to give up a lead late in a game, and, and they play a little tentative and safe. And, and it, it probably happens before they even give up the lead. Minnesota's you know, the... tough
2: because they grind it out, and the, it's not the greatest match for the Avs.
1: Yeah, but, I mean, then there's Chicago and Carolina. I mean, it's, you know, there's different kinds of teams that are doing this. So, you know, it's tough to point to the the opponent being the problem here.
2: (laughs) Right, yeah. And and as far as the goal, I I didn't have... I thought that was a goal for sure because we've seen the deflection skate goal. Those are always legal. And McKinnon definitely purposefully deflected it, but it was not... kick and I think I remember the goal that was scored against them against Nashville in the playoffs that was probably more of a kick than this was and that stood because it was a deflection goal so Dubnik can calm down because it was not that egregious
0: I thought this was more of a kick than the one that McKinnon had called back like
2: that one was weird because that wasn't the puck like under his foot or under the skate, so I don't know, that, I could see that go either way because I don't know, you're kind of deflecting it as well, but you do kind of need to move your foot forward to do that and I could see that being at first I thought that goal was called good, but then when I realized it it wasn't called good, then they're not going to overturn that, but yeah. if they call called that good, then that should have stood as well
0: but for for me this like this one would follow through and i'm fine with with i kick with follow through being a goal as long as it skates on the ice that's what the rule should be to me
2: yeah i think that's that's probably a good way to say it cuz i know they don't want players going around just freewheeling, kicking everywhere but if you're directing or deflecting a blade that's already on the ice then it's a goal
0: Anything else to say about whatever this just, sort of crazy I,
2: game was? I honestly, yeah, this was like two days ago. I, honest, I honestly can't even really remember the goals. So <laughs> maybe it's just best that we move on from this and just say that the wild suck.
1: The yeah, and the again, the, the penalty on Kadri for embellishment while he's getting oh, yeah, that, that sat on by Ryan one. Hartman. I mean, and, what the hell is I, that? It's so, so bad, I don't even
0: want to talk anyone. about it. Yeah. yeah, I know. I I
1: wanted to mention it, but I don't think we need to discuss it.
2: <laughs> I I pers- for me, the embellishment penalty is the worst penalty in hockey. Like a dive is a dive, and that's its own penalty. But embellishing a penalty that the officials believe the other team caused an infraction, I think is just to me that's mind bending. So. It was terrible. It probably didn't affect
0: the outcome of the game.
2: But oh, it was still not. pretty terrible.
0: It, it maybe <laughs> set up an easy uh, empty net goal, but that's about it.
2: Yeah, yeah. Maybe it, not... would...
1: <laughs> it could have been easier for the Abs to score another goal six v five rather than five v five, but yeah, it probably wasn't going to happen anyway.
2: Yeah, I haven't been a fan of their empty empty net management. I I don't mind doing it. I it is an effective way to score. A, a goal late in the game, but I think the situations that they've managed, the empty nets have been poor. I don't like doing it on a face off to me that's and this this one was even in the neutral zone, which I mean, come on, you're you're basically it up to chance right there that the game's gonna be over. And I wish it was more momentum based than okay It's two minutes to go. Let's pull the goalie right now. And all it takes is one guy losing a a board battle that he's not even winning. And then the puck goes the other way. So I think there have been some poor choices. I think this was also the game they had Comfort and Joe Stout with three minutes to go. I don't know why they chose to go with that.
0: Yep, that did happen. And it was really head-scratching because, as as we then talked about on the Discord the next day... Like, Comfer and Jost have almost identical stat lines over the past three years, and and neither of them are particularly prolific scoring players, and you're losing. so Yeah, but
1: Comfer's clutch and the top line isn't going to score, so...
2: Okay, but then use the guys that you paid for to bring in. Like, Burkowski hadn't seen the ice since, like, five minutes to go.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's you know, there's plenty of decisions that could be made better, but
2: right, it never yeah. comes down to one thing. But it, yeah. it is, it is a compounding mistakes that the players make. There's also compounding mistakes the coaching staff makes, which I think is kind of our theme here.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I also think the overplayed Cale McCarr in his first game back. Yeah,
2: yeah, I think mean, that's fair too.
0: His assist was great, but it was on the deflection goal. <laughs> It was it was a great pass.
1: Yeah, I I think I I would have been a little more ginger with him coming back, but
0: they were, everyone on
1: TV said that they were missing him so bad. I guess they felt they had to play him.
0: <laughs> they they were missing him so bad, and then they, and they put Turn and Burn together for most of the game and played the crap out of him. Even though Sam's been pretty much on the struggle bus for a while.
2: I wouldn't have put them together on Makar's first game back. They should use them more, but that also seemed like a a bad decision waiting to happen.
0: I just think that's a specialty pairing. I don't think that's something you want to run out for a full 60 minutes.
1: Yeah, and it's not just because they're together. It's also when they're together, then everyone else is together, too, and they don't have (laughs) guys that can (laughs) can move move the the puck as well.
2: (laughs) <laughs> like EJ Cole pairing is becoming like the old man pairing. Yeah.
0: So, I mean, I guess that, that is the old man pairing, even though I mean, is he and Cole even thirty yet?
2: I think maybe.
1: Yeah, I think he turned thirty the summer.
0: Like I'm, I'm pretty sure EJ is.
1: Yeah, yeah he is. he's he's thirty two. I
0: And speaking of EJ, I think he's kind of been okay the last few games. He's gotten a ton of heat, um, but I I thought he was fine in this one. And honestly, there's been several games lately he's been fine in, which is is good because he's been really having a hard time in a lot of games early this season, and it's good to see him kind of pull things together and maybe try to do less. Yeah. I
2: don't think of anything bad. I think there's maybe one turnover that kind of led to a penalty, something like that. But no, I don't think. I think he has toned it down a little.
1: Yeah, I mean I I I think that his time off was good in more than just healing his injury.
0: Go on. No,
1: it's just <laughs> he he's, needed a little break. An older gentleman like that, it's nice to have a break every once in a while, and not have to play 25 minutes every night. Not that he's not playing 25 now. Um, you know, they they're, they're keeping his he, they're keeping his minutes reasonable, but you know, I, I still think that, you know, with with a guy with an injury history like that, you just you you want to keep him fresh as possible and and not ease him. And I think it pays off. I, I think we've been seeing that since he came back.
0: We've talked a lot about like while he was while he was having visible obvious struggles, we talked a lot about him needing to simplify and um I, I, that's what I think we've seen a lot of is just him doing less and being more effective at at the game he plays. We see him you know like below the offensive goal line less often for for example like he's just kind of trying to take to take care of take care of his area and and he's doing pretty well with that
1: and also something that All right, when he has his shoulder surgery, you generally say that's going to take about six months, whether he's playing or not, before he's going to be 100%. So I think, honestly, his shoulder is probably getting to 100% right about now.
2: You just got to wonder about the lower body. (laughs) Right.
1: You know, other things are going wrong at the same time, but I think a lot of his struggles in the early part of the season were just, you know, one side of his upper body was weaker than the other, and it just makes it difficult to play that way.
0: Hard to pass with one good arm. Yeah. (sighs) Finally, on Saturday, the Avalanche travel back-to-back to Dallas to play the Stars, who haven't seen action since December 22nd because the NHL scheduler is an asshole. It didn't really seem to affect the outcome, though, honestly. Avs losing their first shootout of the season, 3-2. JT Comfer and Ian Cole, your goal scorers, like, obviously. Colorado came out of the locker room in this one looking like they each spoke different languages. But credit to them for outshooting Dallas 34-21 in the second and third periods to bring it back to overtime. Uh, ben Bishop made 41 saves. Sometimes that's just how it goes, is how I see this game. What about you?
1: I just, I... I think it was tragic that Kale McCarr's first NHL penalty was such a you know a puck over glass, a dumb penalty like that, and that ends up being how the star scored the the tying goal.
0: It wasn't even and a he, real puck over the glass. He didn't like clear it and miss. Yeah, he double sense, tapped it, it. You know.
1: Yeah. I mean, he should get points off for coordination like that. You know. I mean, it's. Just... <laughs> But he, he was just so mopey in his interview, and you know, he's a really competitive guy, and he's very hard on himself, and he was incredibly hard on himself in the post-game, and he just felt so bad for him, because it's like, oh, look, man, you know, there's 17 other skaters and a goalie out there that are doing stuff that, that they should feel bad about, too. It's <laughs> not all on you. <laughs>
0: um,
1: but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it, it was it was kind of goofy, in the you know, the third period was really grindy, and I, I, you know, instead of a collapse, and you know, they definitely blew the lead, you know, it's like, you can't, you know, you can't say they didn't, but, you know, they played a good third period, and it was a pretty even game for the, the last 20 minutes or so after, or whatever, after the, um, after the power play where Dallas scored. <clears throat> um, overtime was interesting, I think the Avs were a little out of practice there. Um
0: overtime was weird. It it looked yeah. like Dallas's goal was to draw a penalty not to score, didn't it? Yeah, it did. They just skated and refused to shoot for two minutes.
1: Yeah. And that, that, that could be. I mean honestly, that's probably not a bad strategy against the Avalanche. <laughs> 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 I mean it's like if it's four on three, then the, the Abs probably aren't going to be, you know, breaking past you at a hundred miles an hour and shooting. Um you know so that that that's an interesting strategy. I don't, I don't know if you can actually play that way but it, you know if that's what they were trying to do then good for them.
2: I felt like in this one they were determined to get that point after yeah. all the games that we just talked about over the last week. Dallas two was weeks. too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean, after like the, the 10 minute mark these teams are like okay, we we both need this point. <laughs>
0: Yeah, the end of regulation was kind of what you expect to see against tied teams from different conferences, not division opponents. Yeah. Because, yeah, you get that point, but you're also giving up a point to somebody that's chasing you. Yeah.
2: But there's just and the so shootout. many teams. <laughs> yeah.
1: max, and... max non-goal in the shootout. And it... I. I, along with everyone else, was kind of like, you know, after you miss a goal like that, how can you sort of look so casual going back to the bench? And then, you know, then we saw that it actually hit Bishop's stick. And you're just like, and, and, you know, you can see Max just like, I can't believe that didn't go in.
2: He's just like, oh, it's a knob save. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, it was a pretty sad shootout. It was their first shootout.
1: Last team in the NHL this year.
2: And Grubauer's not Varley, so...
0: Right. It's what it is. But then there was also a 5-on-3, which we absolutely must talk about next.
2: Yes, oh. the, I think that's the story of this game. Another truism is, if you don't score on a 5-on-3, you're gonna lose the game. And, and I'm sure the caveat there is it has to be more than, like, a 10-second
0: 5-on-3. But this was, like, a good minute 30. It was, first of all, it's a hilarious 5-on-3, because and just kind of falls...
1: Yeah, he I
2: sure did. yeah. <laughs> I didn't think that was a penalty either. And then saw that they they were getting it. And I was like,
0: okay, here we go. Like I'm not going to complain too loudly about a free five on three for a minute and a half until they do that on their minute and a half five on three. And it was so just...
1: weird because right, Miko really doesn't he doesn't do the zone entries, um, <laughs> and and they had failed on a couple leading into that. Um, it was and awkward, then right? Me-
0: like they dropped past. Yeah, Hernandez Miko looks off. like. <laughs> who passes it to Miko, who's like, "I'll skate in, I guess."
1: <laughs> but he falls down.
0: hugely. <laughs> like,
2: oh like, well, I think the you got it in. So
0: confused, they assumed that someone yeah. must have cheated.
2: Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I definitely then... needed to see more angles on that one. So uh, it, the five-on-three, but it wasn't just the futility wasn't just this time. And uh, five-on-threes are so frustrating because. It's like the mentality is, you have this time, you have this extra space, you can wait for a perfect shot. But it should be the opposite. It's create as much chaos. They can't get to rebounds. If they clear the puck, they can't over pursue. You can get another entry. I don't know why it's just shouldn't be just a shotgun approach. Just shoot as much as you possibly can. It's yeah, cr- I mean, it's the- crazy to me. They need to get closer. Like I remember when Chicago was on their five on three, they were like almost all right around the net. And then when the abs start in their normal power play, all the way back at the blue line, and it- and then they started creeping closer. Like I think Makar started trying to get closer and closer and closer, trying to drag the others down there. And it was and
1: then Matt gets sad. behind him. <laughs> <laughs>
2: And he wanted to shoot on that so bad. And it was like, pass him the puck. Good lord. It was just so bad.
1: Yeah, it's it's again, one thing that we've seen with the Avs chronically is that they don't get the defense moving on the on the power play. And even with three defenders, you got to get them moving a little bit to get an open lane for a shot. And they didn't. Um, you know, in these seven games we've been talking about this week... They've had 13 power plays, and they've had 13 shots on goal. Um, that's had just not enough.
0: power play goals. I think that was in yeah. Vegas. Um, they both were, yes. It was Landeskog right after he crossed the blue line, so you can't really credit the power play for that so much as an individual effort. And it was <laughs> Ransom making a pass that bounced twice and found its way in the hole. Yeah. Like, Okay.
2: Yeah, if you think of the five-on-three goals that other teams score, it's not because they get the perfect shot. It's because there's chaos, there's caught, rebound, yeah. there's there there's always someone open on a five-on-three. There should only be two so guys much... open. Yeah, there's <laughs> only so much teams can, can cover. You're gonna have the back door open. You're gonna get get a rebound. It's it's crazy. It's I don't
1: know. Yeah, as long easier. as you skate, you can do a lot of stuff, but when you don't skate, you don't get anything. It's
0: much easier to <laughs> cover the passing lanes if you just don't move. Yeah. And then you lose the puck out of the zone and go take a terrible penalty. Cool.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that is sad. That That's like junior stuff. Taking a penalty on a five on three. Behind like, your come own on. Net. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: Like that's that's shocking. That cannot yeah. happen.
1: Yeah, I mean that, you know, we all rail on the fact that they don't shoot enough and they don't move or anything like that, but getting from behind their net to inside the opponent's zone is something that is pretty underrated as to how bad they are at getting the power play set up because they waste so much time you know, standing around, not doing anything. I mean, there's guys standing at the blue line. McCarr does his exaggerated turn and pass back to McKinnon for the zone entry. I mean, it's just, everything is so predictable about it that, I
2: mean, the opponents must just laugh because they've got it all covered. C- certain ones, it's obvious. They know exactly what's coming. Yeah.
0: They, yeah, That usually works. It usually gets them in the zone. It just takes like 15 yeah. seconds to do it. Yeah, exactly. I say
2: that I their entries are okay. I, I they're definitely better than like the Eagles at the end.
1: Yeah, it just takes but... too much time. I mean, it I, I I would much rather see them reload and not go all the way back to behind their net, you know, unless they're changing.
2: Right, like um, reloads on a power play sh- should not be something that you're trying to avoid at all costs because this this team is good on the rush, good on the entry. It's almost yeah. they they've scored a lot of power play goals. On the entry, on the rush. So, so what if you have to do that a couple times a power play? It's better than spending forty-five seconds standing there passing it around. And then McNabb says, "Boy, look at all that zone time and all the passes." And it's like, and eh, no goals.
0: So <laughs> no shots, no shot attempts, <laughs> <laughs> no yeah. shots. So yeah, yeah I, I mean, I think the goal for
1: the Avs should be to not let the pack the puck go beyond the red line. If they can help it, I mean, again, unless they're changing or they, you know, it's yeah, sometimes it gets cleared all the way down. But um, But if they can reload without going behind the red line to do it, then I think that's going to put the other team on their heels. Just the apps make everything so easy on the other team and they only have two or three plays that the other team has to cover. So it's just, you know, as long as you cover those two or three plays, you're basically not going to get scored on.
0: It just comes back to the same thing it, that it usually is, a p- That's other than not moving, which every team falls into that trap sometimes. It, they refuse to play below the net. If the, They'll play around the boards on the power play if they're having to dig pucks, because they have to, but they hate playing behind the net, they hate going around the net. When they do, they create passing lanes to the slot, like, they, good things happen, but they just...
2: That's... That's crazy to me, too, because Miko is so good behind the net. It's not like they don't even have somebody who could do it. It, They have someone that's so good at that, and it's not even part of their
0: arsenal. They're so obsessed with the Miko pass to McKinnon from one circle to the other, or vice versa, that they refuse to let Rantanen work back there.
1: Yeah. Now, the reverse umbrella is a great power play strategy. I mean, I wouldn't want to see it every time, but... You know they need to start adding a little bit of variety to what they do out there,
2: yeah, they because need more tricks. It's so to the
1: obvious abs. that the the opponents know exactly what's going to happen before before the abs do,
2: honestly, and that's what I've complained about it for several years is like you have these these players you you have the resources, you have the talent. you can create different looks, especially in a game where you've had multiple power plays and it's not working. You have to have something else to try.
1: Yeah. No, and it's they—they they seem fine with. All right, this play works X amount of the time, and we know it's going to look awful the rest of the time. But when it does, you know that's our you know eighteen percent. And you know it just it it just feels like they're satisfied with it. And I just I hate that feeling.
0: Well, and I think you brought up twentieth in the league now. Yeah, right, it's and, sagging. And it's and even worse for... over
1: the last month for sure. They're, and they're think, down in the low 20s or the high 20s.
2: I think maybe you wrote it in your article or maybe you wrote it on Discord. But about the situation that they do tend to get their power play goals in. It seems like more of the blowouts yeah. rather than a power play goal that basically wins the game for them. Something like that. Like a third period power play goal.
1: Yeah, Does I went through like all the those? power play goals last year. And, you know, a lot of them were like they got three against the Kings twice and three against the Hawks twice, that kind of thing. And like, you know, that's going to happen. Those teams are terrible. That's when you're going to score a lot of power play goals. But it's just they really didn't offset that as much by, uh, you know, getting the, the consistent one goal every couple games against good teams and bad teams no matter what. Um, so it just, it, it's kind of anecdotal, but it does feel like their stats are inflated a little bit by, you know, ease of scoring rather than actual good play
0: i just think context and, is really important i mean this is a team that's third in the league in goals which is tied for second and one goal out of first in the league in total goals scored and you're, you're yeah. telling me that's a bottom third power play
1: yeah i mean it's <laughs> and then it, you know and i wrote my article today it just it kills me that the one move they could have made this summer which would have been so easy and, and it you know it's not something that costs against the cap or probably even cost all that much money would be Replacing the power play coach. And I you know, I, I hate to rail against Ray Bennett all the time, but it's just he doesn't get it done. You know, that's his one and only named responsibility as power play coach. And for over a year now, since basically the beginning of last December, uh, their power play has been very ineffective or non existent at times, like when they well, went we... forty two straight without scoring a power play goal between January and De- and February last year. Well, they cl- against the Sharks in the playoffs, so they were just too dead.
2: Well, they were clinging to that seventh overall, which a lot of people still believe. It's like, how can you complain <laughs> about the power play? They were seventh overall last year, yeah. And, and then it's always like, well, they were thirty-two percent going into December last year, which that was a big prop. But this year, when it when it is twentieth, you you can't hide behind that. And and yeah. like you said, they they're a great even strength scoring team. They score they're a high-scoring team in general, but you can't have a bottom third power play.
1: Yeah, well, and it's, so it's just, just a waste of resources. It. I mean, you, you've you got such fantastic talent, and even better talent than last year. And, you know, you're using, like, 60% of it. You know, it's just, you, you don't you don't have the luxury of giving up that kind of margin.
2: And the, like their excuse was, well, when Makar comes back, that'll all make it better. Well, <laughs> apparently not. It it watch a little better. The 5 on (laughs) 3 It does look
1: better, but it's just not.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's like, did you watch it at all when Makar was running it before? It's certainly not his fault, but he can't, he's not the savior of that power play either. Yeah.
1: And also his scoring dropped off quite a bit in his last, you know, seven games before he got hurt. So there was that.
0: Yeah. I think it's important to contextualize that 32% going into December last year, too, because I remember um, not even entirely joking, people just demanding that Power Play 2 be Power Play 1, that it play more, because you were getting a ton of goals just hammered in by guys like Alexander Kerfoot um, just around the crease because they would pass and move around, and we were often really, really frustrated with how much time PP1 wasted.
1: Yeah. And another thing to, constec- to contextualize that is they drew an incredible amount of penalties in the first third of last year. And th- that's that's how that 32% sort of stuck with them throughout the rest of the year. Um, because, you know, a- as time goes on you don't get as many penalty calls and, and you get mm-hmm. basically none for the last month of the season. <clears throat> so, if you score a lot early, it's going to make your stats look good all year even though They drop off quite a bit,
0: and I, I, and despite all of this wind about the power play, it's still not, I think, massively important. It it's it points to a major, um, what's the word I want? Starts with a D. No, it doesn't start with a D. It's inefficiency. It points to a major inefficiency. Um, when when you're a could be the top goal scoring team in the National Hockey League, and you're bottom third in the power play. That points to a problem. But that doesn't lose you games. It it may win you games or it may not win you games, your power play. But your penalty kill will lose you games. And the penalty kill drives me batty too.
1: Yeah. And I'll just counter that with the fact that when you're doing your 6v5 stuff at the end of the game, you're basically relying on your power play setup with an extra guy. And if your power play isn't great, then you're never going to score in the 6v5 situation. So it, it kind of does hurt you there. Um, and they look, but that's they more look, of a systemic thing, so it's it's you know I don't put that all on the power play, but um, this when the same thinking goes into both situations, it's it's something you need to change somehow.
2: And they look better four four on four, and even they actually looked better four on three after they took that penalty on the five on three, and that that should that should tell you something. <laughs> and yeah. And I don't, I don't quite agree with the power play can't lose you game. I think, I mean, I guess it literally can't unless you're giving up shorthanded goals. But at some point when games get tighter and more important, you need to capitalize on your opportunities. And sure, if they continue being the best even strength team, which I don't know if they still are, but they certainly were not too long ago. That should win you games. Like that's the foundation of your game and of your scoring. But if they ever need need that late goal, teams are going to need that. You need that to win over the long term. So they've got to get it figured out when they're you know facing elimination, things like that, where the second half of the season might determine seeding or in the playoffs or who knows.
0: So get it figured out.
1: But under the PK,
0: <laughs> yeah, the, the, the PK is what will lose you games because it does give up goals. It's designed to give up as few goals as possible, but it's going to give up goals. Um and and what's been fascinating to me this season has been to watch other teams power plays who are good at it. Um like i am I'm I'm actually shocked to see how low Montreal is because it might just be because of goaltending or something, because earlier in the season when Colorado faced Montreal their PK looked outstanding. Um Yeah. Like, Carolina does it well, um, where they just are on you all the time. Calgary's got a great penalty kill. They are on you all the time.
2: Yeah, Col- it seems like the aggressive
0: penalty kills are what's, what's working right now. Mm-hmm. St. Louis is fifth. Dallas is eighth. Like, look at what they're doing and how they swarm the puck at all times. Colorado it seems are like, passive on the penalty kill.
2: It seems like sometimes they change their mind, maybe after they give up so many they start playing more aggressive but it does seem like they tend to be more passive I know they like having the high forward as the aggressive penalty killer but the other three are not
1: and I'll defend that a little because when they do the triangle plus one which is what they use they're basically using now and they have the one aggressive forward and the other guys are in a triangle around the net when they play the box and, and basically have two guys on the center line, one guy in front, one guy hopefully cutting off the uh, seam pass a little bit, and the other two guys being aggressive, they tend to get scored on a little bit more. So uh, I I think that Nolan Pratt is is kind of boxed in a little bit here because it seems like when they go too aggressive, they do get scored on more than they should. And
2: but when they try to do, there's coverage, not a great
1: balance with how they're doing yeah. it. and i I don't necessarily blame him
2: when they try to do more coverage, though, there's a lot of standing around. I think we've seen a lot of times e j covering nothing. And I don't think you can put that all on him either. Like he's all he's clearly trying to do something he's been told. like yeah. Cole is covering nothing in front of the net a lot of the times. It, so the doing the coverage p k isn't the greatest strategy either. I mean, ideally yeah, but the, you have the thing
1: is, it's like if EJ isn't in that spot and they score and you're just like, what was EJ doing? You know, he's off playing around behind the net or something like that. So it's just, <laughs> either way, it's not going to look great. It's, it's, it, I don't know how to fix this one. And it's weird. They had a pretty good week and they only gave up two goals. Um, you know, one was obviously fairly big last night. They actually scored on the, on the PK. Um, against uh, Vegas this week, so...
0: That was a great individual play by Matt Nieto.
1: Yeah. Yes. And so, it I mean, be- it's it's fairly effective. You know, it's you, you look at the two goals they gave up in the St. Louis game and the one last night, and you're just like, you know, those are big goals, and that, that's going to stick in your mind, but statistically...
0: What um, is their rating? They're, they're a lot rating? better on
1: the PK than they are in the, in the power play. Not yeah,
0: really, what is their the rating? The they are 20th on the PP and 19th on the PK.
2: Oh, okay, yeah, I thought it was better too. So well, maybe in the last month... Lately. Yeah, lately. In the I last guess...
1: month, the, the PK is 12th in the league, and, and this is by efficiency. The The PK is 12th and the power play is 25th, so... Okay. Trending, trending other directions.
0: Trending better I'd, is cause, encouraging, because, I mean, earlier in the season, we also had the PK kind of tanked a little bit by Adam Werner. Yeah. McDavid. So, I mean, that that is a thing that happened, but we, we've played, what, 38, 39 games now? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, I'd say for me, the PK, I'd like to see them trend more aggressive because they do have the speed for it. It's not like they don't have the personnel to play an aggressive PK. And I agree, that's not necessarily like the magic answer because they give up goals that way too.
1: Yeah, it depends on av- your opponent too. I mean, if you're playing the abs, then you really don't have to do anything. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but one thing I'd like to see is maybe them a value look at their, their player usage, because I think they use some guys more than they realize their effectiveness is, like Belmare and Comfort, which I know is are some of their more regular PK players, but they tend to give up more. They do. And and um, yeah. I know Nieto's good. I think Nieto's good. And I know Graves is a good PKer. So um, I know they use those guys, but I think they need to think about their usage because I think they're overusing some guys and they're not effective. So why not try some others?
0: You know, I was encouraged when I was looking at these numbers by the suppression coming from Val uh, yeah. yeah. We know that his... Um, impact at five on five is pretty strong defensive and his impact on pk has been as well um i'm also kind of curious why they never even used tyson jose on the pk a little bit
2: probably his speed but i they could try it yeah
1: yeah, like- I, I love the idea of Nechushkin on the power play. It's just when when you have a guy that's mobile in that size, it's he can cover such a great amount of area even if he's standing still. Nechushkin on the penalty at, kill. The,
2: yeah, he used to power yeah. play. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah. Well, both yeah. is fine too. But yeah, for, <laughs> for penalty kill. <clears throat> um,
2: yeah, and I think he's usually the second unit. So he could maybe yeah. stand to get an upgrade and play a little bit more than Comfort.
0: Because when when I looked at this, the, the the three worst abs in terms of in terms of pure shot suppression were all the initial guys. It was EJ, PEB, and JTC.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, you, that's logical if you're playing against the top unit every time. But still, you can always be better.
0: And and but they're the ones that they're using a lot, like right. But that that was rate, right? Not yes, total. Yes.
2: Obviously, obviously totals. It makes sense they're out there more, but
0: it's it's rate too. Yeah.
1: No, but it makes sense your rate would be higher Worse if you're against, against the, the, the uh, other team's top unit all the time.
2: But, for example, like, Nieto's better than... Nieto and Graves are better, and those are the top unit guys. Yeah. yeah. Those guys that... are out there initially, so...
1: And Nieto was great last year, so this is something that's not new.
0: Yeah. So the, the penalty kill can mean... Maybe trending a little bit better, which is encouraging. Um, it could it could still have be more a lot consistent more success and, and be more consistent. Yeah, rely less on goaltending would help. Um, yeah. And, and when you give up a lot of unblocked shots, that's what that's what you're doing. is You're relying on your goaltender, and that's fine when when group hours on when Fransos is on, but if you have a night when they're not, all of a sudden you're giving up goals left every time you take power, every time you take a penalty, and that's no way to win a game. Um. But to just to move on from that, basically, all the games are in you know last week and next. Like you have a couple of outliers in Carolina and Vegas, but you're you're talking mostly divisional opponents here, and you're dropping these games, and and that's a yeah. pattern this season.
2: And they have two more coming up. This is an interesting stretch where there's four division games in a row, and so there'll be two more Winnipeg and St. Louis. So. Hopefully they do get it figured out fairly soon here. St.
0: Louis, or at will least be lose, at first.
1: lose early, so they don't blow a lead.
0: And <laughs> just get demolished, it hurts less.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Can't blow a lead if you're never in it.
0: But it's just it's it's frustrating because they've got such a strong record overall, but they are just struggling in division against everybody who's not Chicago.
1: Yeah.
0: And they haven't played Nashville or Winnipeg too much yet. So, I mean, that may change a little bit over time. But you're not expecting them to make a whole lot of noise at this point, anyway. The, like, your your main opponents here are Dallas and St. Louis, and you're struggling.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I don't think
0: they've beat either of those teams at all. So, as they have struggled to beat those teams, they have struggled to get, to get goals from anybody except their depth. What's going on here? What where is the top line? <clears throat> That's a really I,
2: good question. <laughs> I
1: I think part of it is honestly they spend way too much time in their own zone. Um It's it, it's it's this is anecdotal but it feels like they just you know, they get buried by the other team's first line a lot. So mean you know, what what are reasons that that might be the case? I mean, we always point to Mac and Miko maybe not being the the most proficient defensively, but honestly, McKinnon has improved a lot in that, and when he was playing with Random Joes for most of the the time that the Gabe and Miko were out, he didn't have this problem. so
2: it seems like this happens where where players go out of the lineup and everyone says, Oh my god, this lineup's terrible, but yet they tend to win and then when everyone comes back and right now they have what's pretty much considered the best it could be as far as the lineup. And is it is it reestablishing chemistry? Is it letting up a little bit? Is it assuming it's gonna be easy for those guys? Is it lingering issues? especially with Miko, which I think a uh, high ankle sprain, you just have to deal with the rest of the year. Landy, with a broken bone, we think it was, that should be something when, when it heals, you're good to go. But those two did miss significant amount of time. You put them together on a line, are there still lingering issues of them getting their conditioning back or some lingering things that they're dealing with? They just haven't looked good. It's been pretty disjointed. I, I don't think that's helped either. So, is that something they're going to work through? Is it going to take breaking the lineup and to f- to force attention from the other team and from their own team to go different directions? Maybe that's what, it, what it's going to take.
0: Against Minnesota, they got good game back. Yeah. He was... Really good against Minnesota. I don't remember his game at all against Dallas. Except for the time he took a really bad penalty five on three. <laughs> so that's not encouraging. Well,
2: here's an interesting stat about Land: Is that he only has six assists. And he only has... He's only in one game in December is registered an assist. Which I think is pretty crazy. And I think he had two in that game. Probably one of the Chicago games. Other than that, he doesn't even have an assist. That's power play. That's even strength. That's everything.
1: Yeah, I. It, it's it's funny you mention that because I I think since he became the tipmeister last year, um, that he really has been shoehorned into that Anders Lee role where you just you sit in front of the net and you don't handle the puck much and so you never get assists. You know, you're you're the Cy Young guy you know twenty goals, four assists kind of thing. Um and I I think it's to the point where it's kind of curtailing his game, the rest of his game a little bit. And I just you know, I, I'm not wild about seeing that because so you know, then he's not as line... skilled as Miko and Mac, but he's you know, he's a skilled offensive player.
2: Right. So does that make it easier for the other team to defend because he's never carrying the puck, and the other two are.
1: I think so. I mean, I just I I think he's he's become specialized to the point where it's detracted from the rest of his game. You know, that's that's a very abs, you know, a very Jared Bednar thing to do. He's he's very very into specialization rather than balance. So, I. I, I don't know what to do about getting the top six going, or if it if it really needs anything. Like, the you know, is it something like four or five games from now, Gabe and Mika will finally be sort of back in game shape, and they'll start tearing it up again? Or, you know, do you need to do something?
2: I think the problem also extends to the second line as well. I think you expect more from the top line, those are all the top players, but In a way, that second line has disappointed. Like Calvert almost has as many points as Kadri and Burakovsky. Which, that also means Calvert is doing well and he's having a good season. And good for him. Yeah. So, I'm not saying that's a problem that Calvert's doing so well, but I think it is an indication that... Like, Burakovsky's very, very streaky. And Bednar seems to find reasons to not play him i think over the games that we just talked about there's only one game he played more than 14 minutes and that is it because he and we know he doesn't really play special teams he's on that second power play unit which they don't want to run
0: he's not in the pk
2: he's not out there late (laughs) he's not out there late in the game like we just said the other the The Minnesota game, they put Joe Stankomfrow instead of Burakovsky. Like, I would bet more on Burakovsky being able to score a goal than those two, but it just seems like the trust isn't there. He's the easy one to it's not probably play. Probably because he
1: stopped shooting. <laughs> <laughs> but
2: so now you got to ask the we, question: Why? Why did he stop shooting? Yeah, because he's—I don't know. We, probably because he's all over the place, or. Qadri, do we expect a little bit more from him? Do we expect more than, what, like 23, 24 points from him at this point?
1: That's a tough one. You know, I think adjusting to sort of an atavistic system like the Avs run compared to sort of an offense-focused system like he had in Toronto is a big change. You know, I think the same goes for
2: Donskoy.
0: And he gets deployed defensively, like, a lot, a lot. (laughs) and his yeah. his wingers have been a, just a revolving door of shit all season long because of injuries, so I don't know.
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying he's been bad, but I, I just think...
0: Oh, there's been times he been we expect bad. more? <laughs> he does One take, thing I thought would,
2: take a lot of penalties. He does draw them, but... He draws a lot more than he takes.
1: <laughs> One thing that, that I thought was really interesting... Um, when i was looking back over the the past 7 games and, and just sort of looking for anomalies um you know things things that just don't make sense <clears throat> in the way you think they would um when when you look at the kind of save percentages on ice that the the top 2 lines get there's a big difference between um you know defensively how i guess lucky if you want to put it that way uh, the second line gets and and the first line does not but you know it <clears throat> do you think that the second line is actually defensively good or are they lucky or is the top line unlucky or are they over their heads against other teams top lines I, it, it's you know it, it's it's something that i found interesting because you know they're both kind of thought of as bad but you know, one is pretty good defensively, or actually really good defensively, and the other is very bad.
2: That's the weird thing about save percentage, because it's, is it the goalie doing something? Is it the players doing something? Is it, is it if, if you're on the ice for a bad save percentage, are you contributing to it, or are you getting unlucky because the goalie's not making saves? So that's always tough. I mean, I think if, if it's
1: one player, it can be anomalous. But, you know, when you're looking at, at a line-by-line basis, you know, especially with the top line, you know, like, Nico has the worst of the three, and Landy the best, and that's something you'd expect. And Mac's kind of in the middle, and he takes a lot of shifts with other lines, so, you know, his 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 numbers are going to be skewed because he's going to be out there with, like, you know, Donsko and Comfort times and things like that that are just, you know... Not, not any real line <clears throat> um you know it, i mean is miko bad enough defensively to really be dragging that whole line down
0: right now he might be
1: yeah i mean it's just i i find it hard to believe that that he could be that bad in one area that that makes an entire line bad but i'm just i i don't know i don't know how else to look at it
0: yeah, I don't want to get too much into the statistical weeds here, obviously. Yeah. That makes a really bad podcast. Um, But they have found in their work pretty conclusively in the hockey stats world that one player over time does not affect on ice save percentage. Now, yeah. to, to say that one player in 20 games won't affect on ice save percentage is ludicrous. Right. It, it comes down to why does it not happen over time? Is it because coaches deploy them differently? Is it because they play their games differently over time? Is it because... Like sometimes there's just a goalie blip that you happen to be on for, that that's a little bit tougher. What what to my knowledge hasn't necessarily been tested is the effect of a whole line on save percentage. That's a really interesting question that you raise.
1: Yeah, and it's it, you know to me it just seems like the you know by by the eye test it seems like the the top line is spending an awful lot of time in their own zone, um, and that's. You know, that that's kind of tough to take because it just seems like last year they had the upper hand against, you know, against really good lines, you know, like the Bergeron line. And, um, Especially at home. You know, the, the... Yeah. And it just seems like they're getting buried a lot lately. And I, I I really don't have an explanation for it other than it's happening and it's not good. And, it, you know, they've, they've got to do something about it, either, you know, figure out some way tactically to get these guys better or mix up the lines a little bit.
0: The, I mean, think you say is. this over the course of the season. Like they have a fifty-two percent Corsi for.
1: Yeah, I'm looking mainly at goals against per expected goal and um, just straight up save percentage. So it's not it's not a shooting metric thing. I'm just you know this is like total goal luck over seven games. So it's you know why are they getting unluckier than the second line? I mean, it just, you know, it could be an anomaly, but it just seems weird.
0: Yeah, their on ice save percentage across the whole season is eight 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 nine, 889. And all of them, like, in all of their other arrangements, regardless of whether it's one or two of them, are in the 90s, what year it would expect to be. So, I mean, that, that's interesting. Interesting. They may just be um, having some unluck there, or, like, we are also saying, it may just be this unique combination of players is poor defensively.
2: Yeah. I still believe in keeping the top line together in general, like over the long term. But I think right now, it may be exploring some different lines, which is crazy because you do want to still maintain some consistency. But I think uh, it's been suggested before that more of a duo type thing where you're keeping some guys together maintain some of that consistency where you can explore other options with the lines. And that might be something they should try.
1: Yeah. It just seems like Jared Bednar really wants these three guys playing together right now. And it seems a little forced just because, you know, either, Miko and Landy aren't aren't up to par. Maybe Max having difficulty adjusting to having two, you know, elite players on his wing rather than a bunch of guys. Um, whatever the reasons are, you know, it's it, it's tough right now. And it, I don't envy Bednar figuring out like, you know, sh- how long should I stick with this because it could really pay off. It's if it's just a couple of games of them getting used to each other again. You know, you you don't want to take that apart if it's going to be really good again in, in in a little bit. But if it's you know if it's something that you need to put guys on different lines just to get them going, and then maybe you know a month from now you put them all back together and they just kill everybody.
2: I know? think it's nice having that in your back pocket, like you yeah. know you can always put them back together, like the psychic Forsberg line. Yeah, and it does seem like teams do that where they have their stars separated, but when they really want to push they'll put, like, Taze and Kane together or the whatever combination like that. Yeah.
0: I think right now it it's just kind of, you know, a, an opportunity cost question, because right this minute, like, Miko Ranton in an even strength is not good.
1: Yeah, he sure isn't.
0: Um, and so, I mean, is that ice time that you could be giving to other players who may be able to be more effective? Um, and, and that could have more luck setting up McKinnon and Landeskog to score goals because right now we talked about this a little bit before the show and I mentioned this elsewhere um, it, the top line is not combining for goals they have yeah. combined for one goal that had a top line goal and primary assist in the, this last two weeks and that's just not good enough
2: yeah and that gets back to Landeskog having no assist
0: he's got an unassisted goal though and it was sick <laughs> Yes. So, so that we can end on a strength, let's start with scratches. And you hate to see it, but my scratch, despite some of his, some of the points he's still got, is going to make me go rant and...
1: Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. I mean, he's just not good right now, and I, I hate to see it. I, I don't like not feeling confident seeing Miko out there. Um, and it's just like you see ninety-six out there, and he's just chasing the puck, falling down, losing his man. I mean, it's. Bad you point. just
2: know he's better than that. He's yeah.
1: better,
2: for sure. Yeah, I don't disagree. I think, I think you give the whole top line a scratch.
0: You could, really. but Gabe was so good against Minnesota that that would taste bad to me.
2: Yeah. It's tough over two weeks, especially when they haven't had a stellar record because, because everyone's contributed at some point.
0: Mm-hmm. That's why I have picture Antonin as the one whose contributions have been the most net negative, even though he's got three goals in here, but of course, like we mentioned, one of those is just the most magic bullshit imaginable, apart from a butt, <laughs> butt goal or something, or the, t- the time the puck went in Mike Smith's pants and he skated into the net with it.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I guess uh, i have to I mean, I- Grubauer, he- he- and I don't want to pin it all on him, absolutely not, but as a whole over the balance of these two weeks Fransoos has outplayed him i think he's overplayed a couple goals i think he gets mad at the defense and rightfully so to some extent <laughs> but he he also has to remember that he's part it, of the it's a, team. it's a team right <laughs> like, i didn't like that in the chicago game that uh you know he, you got to own up to that one you you gotta say that one was on.
0: Boy, a goalie getting mad at his defenders. I, that's I know. That's unheard of. Shout out to Mike, <laughs> who's certainly not listening to this. No, he's not. That's why we're gonna shout him out. <laughs> <laughs> so
2: I don't feel great singling. I'm not. I'm. I don't want to make it sound like I'm singling him out, but I think. I think he could be better. He could have been better over these last two weeks.
0: I think I know who Earl Scratch is going to be.
1: Oh, I didn't even know.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Ray Bennett. <laughs>
0: oh yeah, Ray. Right. I mean, that's
1: every week. Um, I I was kind of thinking about Zadorov actually. Okay. Um, uh, and I know this sounds weird, and, and it just it, it he he wasn't a guy that really stood out a lot in a lot of these games over the past couple of weeks, and. You know, I th- I think they're missing that. I'm not sure why. I, I don't. I'm not sure if it's because EJ's back. His his role is diminished because his the ice time is definitely. It's definitely more in the fifth sixth range now. Actually, um, that might you be know, part of a, it. Yeah, I mean, it's like you know, Makar comes back for two games. That's going to eat up some of his ice time. They're overplaying Ryan Graves. That's a little bit too. And Cole's scoring now, so that's a little more. You know, it's it's you know, it's a piece here and a piece there, but it just you know he's he's not the shutdown guy that they used him for for like 2 weeks and had a lot of success with
0: i will and... say in the chicago loss he shut down patrick kane so effectively that chicago were literally running pick plays like blatantly to get yeah. him, get him <laughs> off of that guy and then as soon as you see patrick kane out against ryan graves he scores a fucking goal <laughs> and, and, right and that I,
2: was I, off a of faceoff too that was like by choice yeah that was out, out of a tv timeout at home by choice so that that was strange i agree what was the game that zadorov i think it was the carolina game that zadorov didn't play the third period because he got into a am i remembering this right i think it was he got into a dust up with needer right and mm-hmm. yeah i think benner didn't like it and then zadorov said something and we don't know what he said so maybe it was justified that he didn't play that third period but he could have helped them not collapse, so that's kind of disappointing. Yeah, but they played
0: four defenders on the second day of a back-to-back because they benched Zadorov, and you don't really want to rotate Anton Lindholm through your roster. Who Anton <laughs> Lindholm, by the way, has gone back to the A.
2: Yeah. So, so yeah, just that whole situation is disappointing, and I agree. I think Zadorov does better with a bigger role, with more minutes, and and maybe you can't always give that to him. Yeah, I think depending one on who of the, else is around, but that's that's when he plays better.
1: Well, I think one of the main things is he's really good at shutting down superstars or a guy that you really don't want, you know, to beat you. But he can't shut down a system, and when we're, when you're playing system teams like Carolina and Dallas and St. Louis and stuff like that, you know, it, it's not something that he can go out and focus on. So it's a lot harder for him to be effective. Um. And so that you know, since you know we do end up playing a lot of system teams, so that's you know that that's kind of a bummer. But I, I you know, I'd like to see Nolan Pratt and and Bednar work with Z a little bit more on you know being able to take uh, more than just shutting down the superstar role. Because if you know if that's that's kind of what they have him doing, that's that's something you can only use against you know well, every six, team has six eight a, teams in the league
2: has a good line or a good player. I don't know. You could. It's it's it seems more like he needs direction but then he also need the needs minutes and that's just not always available and mm-hmm. I know right. they really like it when he's physical and now that you mention it, I don't think he's been that physical the last few games I think the Dallas game he just wasn't great like he a lot of uncharacteristic things for him like falling down like you don't really see Zidore wipe out that much mm-hmm. yeah and he was doing that, and maybe maybe it was... I think he also runs on confidence a lot, which I think is is something that a lot of our defense needs. But I think in that first goal against, he went for a hit and it didn't really work. And then if you're taking that physical element away from him or if he doesn't feel confident in it, then that's big trouble for Zodorov.
0: So that's an interesting discussion, and it's not even necessarily a scratchy discussion, so I'm glad we had it. Um, I, I figured that since we talked so much about coaching decisions, that Earl was going to scratch the <laughs> coaching staff, because he does that pretty regularly. <laughs> that's like uh, I mean, I'll always scratch.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, they, they always deserve a little bit of guff.
0: So let's wrap up the abs with stars here. Obviously, shout out to Matt Calvert, who has been continuing to score hella goals and just like prove everybody wrong who was wrong about signing him he's been a great addition to the avs and continued to be in this last I couple will weeks.
2: say one one thing about calvert which amazingly dater got the scoop on this was that he worked on his skills over the summer that he worked that he has some buddies that run like a skill camp or, or something like that and and he said that he wanted to go through their program and work on his skill and his skating in tight and his hands, and I'd say that's paid off so i I think that's interesting that someone that's been in the league for several years and and we felt that maybe he w- wasn't he, he didn't have that skill like he was always the stone hands calvert, but I think it has made a difference this year, and yeah good for absolutely good for him.
1: He's made some good shots, but I mean, like both goals against Leonard were magic bullshit. Um,
2: well, he's always gonna know, have and, that and that's and that's not so. bad.
1: That's that's you need a guy that can do magic bullshit, like you know, smack the goal the puck between the goalie's legs when they're not closed, or you know, shoot from behind the net on a double pad stack <laughs> and things like that.
2: My thing is, hands have have gotten a little bit better. He's made some nice passes. I think even just raising it a little bit, like he's not going to become Miko because he goes through some some training over the summer, but I I liked hearing that that he that someone that's been in the league that long that's that's still a bottom six guy wants to work on enhancing something that could help him.
0: I don't think there's any way last season Matt Calvert gets two deflection goals above the waist in one game.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that
0: that was good for him
2: too. That that was like Landy style. So maybe Landy's giving him some tips. <laughs> More stars. It's hard because everyone had individual moments, but I guess you got to give it to Nuke in the Gordie Howe hat trick. Yeah. I, he's he's still been overall pretty good. Maybe the scoring's not quite as consistent as it was a few weeks ago, but he's still chipping in and then getting a Gordie Howe hat trick. It, it Those aren't easy to get. It's been a couple years, and Comfer had the last
0: one. So <laughs> well, some, First, somebody fights in his general direction. He didn't really fight back much. <laughs> He kind of held on for dear life there. Um, The the assist was nice, and the goal was hysterical.
2: Yeah. Again, he's kind of getting those breakaway goals that aren't going in again, and you just hope that the luck doesn't turn for him that bad. But So he deserves to have some magic bullshit happen.
1: Yeah. I I think we all... The team is so much better with him... I mean I don't think we can expect sort of when he was at his peak a couple of weeks ago to last all season but you know again if you can get sort of good third line numbers out of him from for the rest of the season that's fantastic.
2: Yeah, he's still in at positive. He's a good penalty killer, good four checker. If he can just uh, just keep some production going then that's perfect and and I enjoy new. So, he's my star. <laughs> third
0: star.
1: I don't know. It's weird. I mean, Ryan Graves and I was Ian Cole that too. together, and these are guys at the start of the season that we, you know, weren't sure if Graves was going to make the team and if Cole would be you know, even playing by now. Um, and they're scoring a lot of goals and getting a lot of shots on net. And
2: I, I'd lean more you know, toward Graves, but we do crap yeah. on Cole a lot, so it, it's fine that he gets some positive. Yeah.
1: I, I can't stand he, Cole, and it just pains me to mention him in a positive way. But you know. He is
2: good at shooting and getting the puck through,
0: but yep. he's still a little yeah. uneven. Yeah, but, but Ryan Gaines has found, all, like, you know you traded for him, so he's not quite found money, but he feels like found money.
1: Yeah.
2: He's an interesting case, because they have given him the opportunity, he's earned it, but they've certainly stuck with it. Earlier in the season, it was fine that he played, but you didn't want him to play too much. But he is like actually getting better, and maybe they're overplaying him a little. But he's he's earned it too. He's maybe I think the- they kind of have to just
1: because he seems to have the best chemistry with Makar out of anyone on the team. Um, yeah, you know, and it's and that's kind of weird, but maybe it's I don't know. They're both young or you know, whatever, they just, you know, they seem to have a good idea of what each other is doing. And that, and that's, um, I, I think that's probably comforting for both on the ice since they're, you know, both relatively new to the league.
2: And maybe this will be Graves' Nick Holden peak type season of scoring. I find it interesting that, like, Zadorov and EJ are so much lower in points and Cole and Graves are so much higher, but... That's also <laughs> another weird statistical yeah. anomaly this season. But yeah, Graves deserves some praise. He's played well. And um, it, then you've got to th- say, this isn't the future cast, but you, you have to think about what you're going to do with him in the future then. Is he going to get some sort of extension multi-year in the lineup every night moving forward,
1: well, they gave one to Comfer. I mean, why not give one to him? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's
0: easier to bury Comfort in that play in world. So, um, but real quickly, I want to mention what's been going on outside the ABS this week. Let's let's get a quick update on Eustace to and Sam Bo and Bowen Byram at World Junior.
1: And Danny Z. Yes.
0: I named all the players I can think about of off the
2: top of my head. Um... <laughs> uh, well, it's only been they most teams only played two games, so it's it's still early yet. As we expected Canada. They won they did beat the US, but then they had a terrible game against Russia, so we'll see where that goes. Did they ever? Yeah. <laughs> uh we we didn't really expect Canada to be a good team. They don't tend to play well on big ice. Not a lot of superstar forwards and um I think Byron's been fine. He Canada's given up 10 goals. He's on the ice for one, and that includes PK. Um, we'll see what they do with him moving forward, if they, play, if they see him as more of an answer to their problems or a young guy that they don't really want to lean on. But I think a lot of attention has been made to that he was on the ice for the one goal he gave up against Russia and I don't know. I think expectations need to be managed here with with what you want out of him in this type of environment.
1: Yeah, I wasn't surprised at all at his usage. This is a team Canada playbook. Um you know, he's playing more than McCar did back when when McCarr was in his situation, but um you know, the, t- the team's not quite as good, so it's it's not allowing him to use his skills as much either um,
2: and he played more defensive like I remember the Ivan Hlinka tournament he played more of a defensive role with Canada but he tends to have these magic big moments so we'll see if one of those happens but I think him playing more of a defensive role shouldn't be disappointing but I think a lot of people are just going to look at the box score and if he doesn't score like five or six points then he wasn't good yeah so, we'll see. Um, as far as... Uh, I'll let you take Giravly off, I'll say Finland. Um, their group is so much easier, so it's it's really going to be hard to tell until they get to the quarterfinals in the elimination games. But they lost in overtime to Sweden, but I think Annen made, what was it, like 45 saves or something. So. Yeah, 45 out of 48 saves. <laughs> so... The fact that they even got it to overtime is probably because of him. Uh, so he's he's definitely their number one goaltender. He's could be in the running for the best goaltender of, of the tournament. But that also depends how far they get. Um, Ranta. Yeah. I enjoy Ranta. I, I like him maybe more than the majority do. Um, I thought they would use him more offensively because they don't have a lot of forward talent. Especially with Kupari got injured in the first game and he's out of the tournament. So and that's the sad thing is this tournament's already had like three top forwards out for pretty gruesome injuries. It's kind of scary, but um I think he's done well in kind of a energy ish offensive role. And um he's he's fun to watch. He's just so athletic and fast and skilled and but is he ever going to be like a massive producer, like a top six guy? Probably not. But I think he fits that role well, so I've been happy with him.
1: Yeah, he reminds me a lot of Berghovski, honestly. Um, it's a good
2: comparison.
1: Yeah, he's you know he's got a, an amazing shot. He's really good at zone entries, bringing the puck up the ice. Um, he's showing that off I, with Finland only having eleven forwards right now. It's I, I don't know why they're not playing them more since their their top six really doesn't really do much. Um Annen has been fantastic. Um he's given up <clears throat> I've only I've only looked at the stats from the first two games, but he's only He given didn't
2: up four play games. today.
1: Oh, he didn't play. Okay, good. Um as far as I know, he's leading the tournament in save percentage and
2: 45 yeah. saves will do that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, and then <laughs> let's, they let's had a 6-1 Europe. win versus Slovakia too. Well, yeah,
0: let's talk about <laughs> your yeah. guy
2: here. Yeah, Jaravlyov uh for Russia. Russia's been up and down. They they lost to the Czechs, so that's like a rivalry game.
0: And they that lost to the U.S. Happens. today. Russia yeah. always plays either the Czech Republic or Slovakia and always loses that game specifically.
2: Yeah, so... The group they of they lost... death
1: is definitely the group of death this year.
2: <laughs> yeah, they might all have the same record, so... <laughs> and they, um... They lost to the U.S. today. They beat Canada, obviously, like I said, so... It... <laughs> It's it's going to be a really interesting quarter quarterfinals for all of them. I think the the goal will be to stay away from Sweden and Finland and get the two weaker ones, but we'll see how that goes. So they're a hard team to peg. I think they're pretty complete, and I, I think Zhiratliov helps that on the defense. Um, he he is kind of in the top pair, but he does play a quieter game. He does have a couple assists, though. I'd say it's good. Maybe, maybe you'd hope for a little bit more standout performance since he's he was there last year. But overall, I'd say it's positive.
1: Yeah, okay. I, th- I think all four guys are, are having good tournaments so far, as, as best as they can with what they have to work with.
0: Sounds like am yeah. the most so. So good for him.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: And hopefully the Avs can develop a, the next Finnish monster goaltender. That'd be cool.
1: He's definitely a monster. <laughs>
0: Coming up the next two weeks, Colorado take on the Winnipeg Jets at home on New Year's Eve, which is a six o'clock mountain start for some reason on Altitude 2, the Ocho. Then on Thursday, it's the St. Louis Blues in town for a 7.30 mountain start for some reason on NBC Sports. So, brace for Pierre. The Avs take a three-game in four-day swing through the New York area after that, starting on Saturday in New Jersey, five mountain on Altitude 2 again, Monday against the Islanders, and Tuesday against the Rangers, which is at 5.30 on NBC Sports for some reason. That's... Too many national games. But the odds yeah. are at home from there for the rest of the month of January, with their first game of six on Friday, the 10th, against the Penguins.
2: The schedule is so weird. They have five games at home, then then the bye week, then five on the road. But that gets into February. Uh, as far as this, I think this team needs to get on the road. The, the December home games are always bad. I don't know if it's a distraction or... <laughs> Maybe coming off those road trips, it's a little bit of a letdown. I don't know what it is, but I I'm kind of excited for them to go on that New York trip. Well, and they also need to win those games. You cannot yeah. lose to the Rangers. You cannot lose to New Jersey. I know the Islanders are tough because they play some sort of magic system. <laughs> but <laughs> they, need, they need to have a good showing there, too, but you got to beat the Rangers in New Jersey. The never this...
1: shoot and win anyway system.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they've got the trots, they say. <laughs> I'm sure they'll throw our against us, so that'll be fun. but um, That will be fun. And I hope for a stronger finish against these division opponents. If you beat the Winnipeg game, then the St. Louis game doesn't become so big. But it probably will be anyway. And then the Penguins. The Penguins are weird, too. It seems like they're bad, but every time you look,
0: they win. It's weird. <laughs> yeah. That's the, that's the <laughs> Pittsburgh bullshit. That's, that's the bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> See, for, for me, I think that I look at every St. Louis game as you're probably going to lose. So if you win, I'm going su- yeah. take, take a happy surprise there. Um, And I, I'm with you on expecting a win against Winnipeg, although they've been elevated by goaltending a lot this season, and you never know. Uh, Yeah, New Jersey and the Rangers, you want both those wins, and you'd like to have them be pretty significant wins, but the Rangers are... a you know, two games in two days situation is not the same as others would be because the game one is against the Islanders and game two is against the Rangers. So, I mean, you got three games in four days, like within, what, a half mile of each other or something silly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's pretty close, but <laughs> I still think it's a big up. city, though. Yeah, I, I, I and... am
0: an expert on New York geography and all those three arenas share a corner. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> just like
1: LA, all the teams play in the same building. Yeah, there
0: you go. Um It takes too yeah, long did, to get anywhere else in LA.
1: <laughs> same in New York. Um,
2: so
0: it's how many games? Six? Six. And the, cause then there's mm-hmm. Pittsburgh back at home.
2: And we'd like to see the you'd like to see them do better than five hundred if they could get eight points. Eight points out of six games.
1: Yeah, that's about what. That's I'm probably thinking. okay if they can hold a lead.
0: I'd like to see them get nine. Um, I think eight would be okay. Yeah, you twelve's know, not happening because I... you got the Blues in there.
1: Well, They're coming if they off can of beat... five points in seven games, so I like even six is is a little bit of an improvement.
2: <laughs> yeah, they, if they could even be one, if they take care of business, then they only need to beat one of St. Louis Islanders or Pittsburgh, but. You know things don't always go as planned, and to get above five hundred, probably gonna have to be two of them.
0: And it's not gonna be St. Louis.
2: <laughs> you never, maybe, maybe the opposite
0: happens. We play them so damn much lately that yeah, maybe this is the yeah. one game they they win against St. Louis a year. Yeah, one nothing. Then there's another one in January.
2: There's another St. Louis game in January.
0: Is that Homer Road? Do you know? It's gotta it's be Homer home, Road. Right? It's got to be home. It's it's a yeah. day game. They, oh, yeah. yeah. That's, it's a matinee, which they're always pooping. <laughs> Except for in Nevada. If, it, if it's a yeah. matinee game on a weekday, they, they just destroy it, whether it's in or Boston. In, or, or in Boston. In, yeah. But then, if it's just, a, just a, hey, we feel like playing the afternoons a day, poop. Well. I mean, this is going to be an interesting couple of weeks. There's... there's the whole gamut from St. Louis, top of the West, to New Jersey, worst in the league that doesn't deserve to be relegated.
2: <laughs> yeah, New Jersey's pretty bad. They got to win that one.
0: Although they, they've been winning some games after since they traded Taylor Hall to the Coyotes, like they they put up a Brazil on Chicago not that long ago.
2: Oh my! That's not surprising. too no. good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Are they re- we
2: don't want to lose to the Rangers. That's just blah. Yeah,
0: That, that would make Earl very sad, so we'll say no. Yeah. <laughs> well, even if they do end up losing to the Rangers, you know, you can find out here. We are Burgundy Radio on SoundCloud, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, and on Google Play, and on any other RSS-based podcast feed catcher. You can always catch us on BurgundyReview.com, where we have a link to our Discord, where we hang out in there probably more than anybody really should, and just chat about hockey and other bullshit all the time. Your head up, get to the areas, and we will see you in two. Weeks. It is Joe Zakek scores! Zakek scores! Surely, that's gotta be it! The goal was hysterical.
2: Yeah. But <laughs> hey, it's... he's allowed some fortune, especially since there's been a few goals that You wanna say that again, Cloud that- Bark? Okay. <laughs> It's good to see him get some magic bullshit because...